This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Today I want to talk about the core value of ministry. We believe God has called us to a courageous life that is engaged in serving others. I want to begin by saying that at Courageous Church, we believe that God has called every believer to be a minister. We believe everyone that's in this place today has the calling upon them to be a minister. That is, to be engaged in serving other people. Simply put, serving others is ministry. Can I say that again? Serving others is ministry. When we think of ministry, we tend to think that that is the job of professionals or pastors But this actually couldn't be further from the truth. The truth is that if you are alive in Christ Jesus, if you've placed your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, then you are called to ministry. Do you believe that? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. First Peter says this, chapter two, verses four through five. As you come to him, meaning Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves as the church are like living stones that are being built up together as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So Peter tells us that we as believers are actually called priests. Some of you, maybe you grew up Catholic and you had a priest And he was that guy that stayed on the other side of that curtain and you got to tell him all the things you did wrong that week. Thank God that some of us have been set free. The reality is, is that God actually calls all Christians priests. And he says that our job is to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So if you're in Christ, you're a holy priesthood. And we call this teaching the priesthood of all believers. Maybe you're familiar with it. Furthermore, it goes on to say this in the same chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're not just a priesthood, you're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen race. You're people that are marked by God for God so that you can proclaim to the world his praise. So let's get this straight. We're royalty, we're priests, we're chosen, we're marked by God, and marked by God for a particular purpose. And that is to proclaim who God is in the earth. At Courageous Church, we believe the greatest way that we get to proclaim God is in and by the way that we serve each other. Can I say that again? We believe the greatest way that we actually get to tell people about who God is, is in and through the way that we serve one another. We believe that as ministers, we're called to serve. And I would go on to argue that it is impossible to actually love someone well without serving them. Now, I want to establish just a a quick point here. I think it's important. Many of us think that to minister or to proclaim things about God can actually be separate from the way that we treat people. And I don't find any evidence for this biblically. I was having this conversation with someone at our Alpha this week. Many times we think in order to be a people of truth, we don't have to give a rip about the way we deliver that truth or that message. And the reality is this. We are actually called to be a people that speak the truth in love. There it is. And it's not either or. It's not truth versus love. It's not grace versus truth. The scriptures actually say that Jesus was a man full of grace and truth. 
And so I believe it's a both and reality that God invites us into. We are called to speak the truth, yes. Everyone is called to speak truth to their friends and neighbors and loved ones and enemies. But we're called to do so in love because I believe the method is just as important as the message. Now, some of you might disagree with me on this, and that's okay. So let me break this down for you. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15 says. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers like myself to equip, that's to build up, that's to resource, that's to love and serve his people, that's all of you, for works of service. That's ministry. And here's the point. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, or for you fancy people, mature. (laughs) The point of God giving us apostles and pastors and prophets and evangelists and teachers is to build up the church to serve the servants, to serve ministers who then do the work of ministry, do the work of service so that the whole church, the whole body of Christ, big C, can reach unity in the faith. That's kind of what we were talking about earlier when we were praying for all the churches. It goes on to say this, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and blown there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Now, we live in a day and age where you can jump online, you can get on Facebook, and you can hear all sorts of different kinds of teaching. Some of them good, some of them that you should run from. Not all are created equal. And so he wants us to be thinking about how we're serving each other so that we're not blown about, tossed and thrown about by the wind of different teachings and people's deceitful scheming. There's people out there that are deceitful, that want to deceive you. And here it is. Here's the crux of the whole thing. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, Jesus, who is the head, that is Christ. Instead, it says, speaking the truth in love. Instead of what? Instead of being an infant. Instead of being immature. Instead of being divided, or even worse, divisive. So you're telling me that there are people who speak the truth harshly, and those people are immature? Yes, So are you telling me that people who speak the truth in a divisive way are infants? Yes. So are you telling me that people who speak the truth with no regard for that person, you're telling me that they have a little growing up to do? Absolutely. We are called to speak the truth in love, and love is an action word. It's a verb. In other words, if truth is the message, love is the method. Can I say that again? If truth is the message that God has given us, love is the method. Love is the delivery mechanism. Love is the vehicle it travels in, and we're called to be about both. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another, people are going to know that you're my followers. People are going to know that your life's different. People are going to know that you know me because of the way that you love each other, not because of how many scriptures you can quote, not because you're right and someone else is wrong, Come on, too many of us get sucked into these right-wrong arguments and these either-or dichotomies. And I don't believe that God has called us to be a people that do that. I believe he's called us to be people that know the truth, that are set free by the truth, that know how to speak the truth, and that do so in love. 
I believe that God wants us to be so ingrained in this reality that it actually oozes from our being because God is calling Courageous Church to be a people that are engaged in serving others. Can I reframe it for us this way? To love someone means that we get to serve them. And there is a huge difference between having to serve somebody and getting to. Now, some of you, you show up for work and that's a have to situation. And I get it. Some of you who don't like your job and you're like, I have to be here. I have to pay the bills. I have to suck it up. I have to go along with what the boss wants. I have to do these things. But there's a huge difference, a gigantic chasm between having to and getting to. And when you and I make that shift in our mind and in our hearts from having to serve someone because Jesus told us to, all right, I got to go serve that guy because Jesus told me to, to, man, I get to serve that guy. I get to serve that gal. I get to tell my coworker the good news of who you are. I get to share that story of what you've done in my life. I get to, to serve them in a way that's going to bless them and maybe a way that's unforeseen that they don't even see coming. There's a huge difference when we make that shift from having to to getting to. And I want to say this, I believe that our greatest source of joy comes from when we can make that shift. I believe we get to look forward to how we get to serve people. And when we do, it changes everything. It changes our perspective. It changes our focus. And most of all, it changes our attitudes. And this is tough because we live in a consumeristic culture that wants to be served. The message of our day and age is simply this, serve me. Everything about our lives today has been reoriented and recalibrated to serve you. And if you don't feel like you're being served, well, you're going to go jump in that quicker line. And now you don't even have to wait in line. They have self-checkout at Walmart and Target and the grocery store now because heaven forbid we actually have to let somebody go in front of us. Heaven forbid we actually have to let somebody turn before we yield our vehicle. See, the reality is this. So much of our culture is all about serving us. It's about me, right? And we glorify the self. We glorify, we, we, we have award ceremonies to glorify our accomplishments. We have the Grammys and the Oscars and we get dolled up and we, it's glamorous and fun and all this stuff. But it, it's really reinforcing a dangerous narrative about our lives. And that's that it's all about us. But I find within the scriptures and I find within the evidence of Jesus's life a different model, a different way of life, a different rhythm, if you will. Jesus gave his entire life to exemplify his message, which is this, serve others. Don't just serve yourself. Don't just live for yourself, but serve someone else. Serve others. Here's what it says about Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. There it is. You know why I like Jesus? Because he just says it. He doesn't dance around it. He just comes out and says it. And sometimes it's offensive. And sometimes we wish there was more wiggle room. Like, Jesus, really? I have to be the servant of another person? He's like, yes, if you want to be great. Verse 27, and whoever would be the first, whoever wants to be first among you, now he ups the ante, must be your slave. Whoa, 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 Jesus, slavery, that's a little offensive. We've got hundreds and hundreds of years of this in our country, and it's, it's offensive that you would use that word. Could you just soften it and say friend, <laughs> pal? He doesn't do that. He says, you got to be someone's servant, and if you really want to be first, you really want to be the best, you need to be their slave. Whoa! I don't know about you guys, that challenges me at an anatomical level. Any other selfish, 
narcissistic people out there, you don't want to raise your hand. That pretty much tells me all I need to know. The truth is, is that that gets right into the, the heartbeat of the issue. And that's that we don't think we should be someone's servant. We think we're better than that. We think we've graduated. For those of you that have been walking with the Lord for a while, or maybe you're a little bit older and more seasoned, you're kind of like, I've been there, I've done that, bought the t-shirt. <laughs> All right, I don't serve in the nursery anymore. I did that already. But Jesus says, you want to be the greatest? You want to be the best? Serve somebody and be their slave. It's like, wow, Jesus, are you sure about that? Here's how he qualifies it. Here's how we know. Verse 28, even as the son of man, he's now referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I'm going to show you the way because I myself came not to be served, but I came to serve. I came to show you what a life looks like when it's engaged in serving others. So I'm living it. I'm willing to walk this thing out so that you can see that you too have the opportunity and the power and the ability to do it. Jesus, the son of God, God incarnate, which is amazing. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can we just let that sink in for just a moment? That God in all of his power and deity and divinity and authority laid it all down in Jesus. And he came to serve. He took the posture of a servant, of a slave. Jesus came not to be served by you and I, not to be served by his disciples, not to be served by the political rulers and powers of the day. He was born in a humble manger he could have come in glory with power, trumpets, and angels. But he chose the route of humility. And he was willing to say, I'm going to lay it all down so that I can give my life as a ransom for the many. So that I can serve rather than be served. This is the heartbeat of what it means to be engaged in serving others. The model for his church and for you and I is this. Serve others. And I know Jesus kind of sets a high bar. And some of us, when we look at that, we're like, I don't think I can really meet that standard. The truth is, we may not have the ability to lay down our lives to the point of death, but we can all serve someone. There is somebody in your life right now that you can serve. And I'm not even just talking about serving here at Courageous Church. I mean, within your world today, God has placed people that you can serve. And you know what? Usually God wants us to serve the people that are hardest to serve. We think that God's calling us to serve people that are easy to serve. Can I tell you this? Marriage is a perfect picture of this reality. Because if you married somebody that was easy to serve, you would never change, you would never grow. You would remain as selfish as you were when you first started dating. Can I get an amen? When you first start dating, you are a selfish dude and or dudette. You think it's all about you. And I will tell you this, you spend years trying to conform the other person to what you want for them. Well, if you would just do this, then I'll be happy. Well, if you would just stop leaving the toilet seat up, then I'd be happy. Well, if you just make the bed and stop leaving your clothes on the floor, then I'd be happy. And we go back and forth trying to conform the other person, right? When in reality, God presents a better way. He says, why don't you serve them? I don't want to pick up their clothes. I don't want to have to clean up after them. I don't want to have to take out the trash because it's still all about me. And many of us, sadly... We go through life this way. We're in marriages and relationships sometimes where it's still about us. We're cohabitating. We're playing house. But we still haven't gone all in on the whole serve part because that hurts. Because that means sometimes we've got to swallow our pride and take a few hits for the team. Marriage is not about your happiness. Marriage is about your 
holiness. And in order for God to make you holy, he's got to grind some of your rough edges. He's got to smooth some of the rough places of your life. And you know how he does that? He gives you somebody that's opposite from you. And when you first come together and you're dating, you think, oh, I found my soulmate. We're so much alike. And then you get married and you realize, who is this person? Who did I marry? I've been hoodwinked. They tricked me. Who put the drugs in my soda? (laughs) This is the reality that we face. And then as we begin to grow and mature through pain, we begin to realize this. We begin to realize that the reason God put that different opposite person in your life is to help you grow and to help you learn this lesson, which is to serve other people, to serve others. Amen. So how do we do this? How do we flesh this out as a church? That's really the question we're asking. How do we serve other people? And I want to give us some application. I don't want to just preach an ought to message. I want to preach a how to message today. How do we do this? I believe God wants us to keep it simple. So I'm going to keep it simple. Number one, we serve our family. For those of you that are married, this would mean your first priority is to serve your spouse. Ephesians 5.21 says it this way. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we don't tend to like that word submit in our culture. In fact, we kind of see it with negative connotation. Like, I put that guy in a submission hold and I made him tap out. But in this context, the word is hupatasso in the Greek. And here's what it means. To subject oneself to, to yield to one's admonition, to arrange yourself under, to subordinate. So, here's Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. He's saying... Both men and women submit to each other. Well, wait a second. I thought just wives were supposed to submit and husbands are supposed to love their wives. That's true. But if you actually look at the way that Paul frames the argument, he actually starts off with a directive to both, meaning submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That should be the framework or the foundation upon which we then flesh out how we do that. Some of you are like, mind blown. In fact, if you look at the original Greek, it actually doesn't even say wives submit. It says, submit to one another out of Christ, wives to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Mind blown again. You don't believe me? Go do the research. Go check. Pull open your Bible. Do it. I dare you. You'll find that actually the model is mutual submission. And here's how it gets flushed out. Men, this is how you submit to your wife out of reverence for Christ. You do so by loving your wife, the way Christ loves the church. And how did Christ love the church? He died. He died. He laid down his rights. He laid down his self. And he put everybody else's needs over his own. And he died. And he loved us with this agape love. And that's the word used here. Men, love your wives. Agape your wives. Love them with this extreme, all-consuming, unconditional, powerful love. And women, submit to your husbands out of reverence for Christ by revering and honoring them. And the word used here is actually phobeo, which is the word we get phobia from. It means to fear. And in this context, it's talking about how we fear and revere, how we honor and respect each other. We'll teach more on this later. So serving your family would include your spouse, but it also would include your kids. For those of you that have kids, I've said this before and I'll say it again, our children are our first flock. They're our first priority in our life. So before I'm your pastor, I'm their pastor first. And I love being my kids' pastors. I love shepherding their hearts. It also means that they'll always have priority over this church. 
There's no other way to sugarcoat that. That's something that we will fight for. For those of you that are not married, serving your family would mean your immediate family members or even those closest to you. Some of you don't have an immediate family and that's okay. Your family gets to become your church family, which leads me to my next point. Number two, we serve our church. We serve our church as the body of Christ. We're called to serve the family of Christ. That's the church. That's you and I. And I want to say this. It's impossible to love Christ. It's impossible to love, follow, and serve Jesus and not love his church and not love his bride. Well, Jesus, I think you're real special, but I don't care too much for your bride. I've heard it voiced this way. Jesus, I think you're awesome, but I'm just not so sure about your followers. Sorry, you don't get that option. If you are gonna love Jesus, then you need to love the body of Christ. You can't just love the head and not love the body. That's foolishness. Now, some of us, we go through life that way. (laughs) I like the way my head looks, the rest of me I'm not so sure about. But the truth is this, if you're gonna love Jesus well, then you've gotta love his church, warts and all. And there's no such thing as a perfect church. The minute you walked in, that went out the window. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And some of you, you've been on this quest, maybe not so much here because Creative Church is pretty awesome, but in other places to find that perfect thing and it doesn't exist and you're frustrated and you don't understand why you can't do this and you haven't been given this opportunity and blah, 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 blah. But the reality is God still calls you to serve. We serve the church the way that we serve Christ and we don't bash the church. We don't bash the bride. Creative Church is not gonna bash other churches in this valley. You know what? Paul encountered people along his way that were preaching the gospel that he didn't really have any authority over. And he was like, listen, and he told his followers, don't, don't mess with them. If they're preaching the gospel, praise God. The gospel's being preached. And that's all we really care about is the good news of Jesus being preached. If so, I'm gonna say amen. And I'm gonna say, come on, you can do it. I'm not talking about people that are teaching a false gospel. I'm talking about maybe you don't like their preference. Maybe they shout too much like Pastor Jason. Maybe they talk too fast like Pastor Jason. Maybe they're too quiet. Maybe they don't meet your needs. Maybe they didn't respond to your email because, you know, they were taking care of their wife and kids. I don't know, but we don't bash the bride. We don't bash Jesus' bride. Jesus gave his life and he spilt his blood. Could you imagine if Jesus spilt his blood for something and we turned around and stepped on it and spoke bad about it and tarnished it? Well, that's what we do, essentially, when we speak ill of other people and other churches. And we don't, come on now, I know I'm getting into some, some tough stuff here. We don't gossip about them either. We don't gossip. And gossip is such a tool of the enemy to get us to talk bad about each other so that we can tear one another down. Some of you do this sarcastically and you think it's okay because you're being sarcastic and it's not. It's evil and it's diabolical and I will say this, it's demonic and you need to cut it out. And I'll tell you why I get fired up about this point because I see too much collateral damage. I see people taken out because of the ill words spoken, not only just sarcastically, but in passing without any thought without any care to how that's going to affect another person. And the truth is none of us know where people are in their walk with Christ. There are churches in this valley that are going to do great with people that are just jumping into the shallow end for the first time. Then there are going to be others that maybe know how to help people go deeper. Then there's going to be others that are going to be great at equipping and sending out. There's others going to be great at at being a hospital and caring for the broken and the wounded. They know to nurture and, and bring back to life those that have just been beaten down. And the truth is we never know what God's doing and or how he's going to do it. So who are we to speak against his work? Who are we to criticize people that we see on TV? Who are we to do that? You know why we do that? Because we think we're better. We think that we've arrived. We think that because we know we've become. And here's the truth I've found. You can grow up in church your whole life. You can know your Bible and never become what your Bible wants you to become. 
And that's because there's a big difference between head knowledge and heart transformation. More information doesn't always lead to transformation. God wants to change us and he wants to start here. And if we allow our politics and our issues and our things to divide us out there, how are we ever gonna be effective? How are we gonna reach people that need what we have? The truth is until we're willing to lay down our rights and serve somebody, we're never gonna be effective. But I don't believe that's what God wants for this church. God wants courageous church to be a people that know how to arise and shine, that know how to be life-giving. We say that word a lot, life-giving. What does it mean to be life-giving? It means that we've recognized that the power of life and death is in the tongue, and we're gonna choose to use our mouths to bless rather than to curse, to speak life rather than death. That's why if we could, as a people, grab a hold of this notion and see that God has given us this power in our tongues to proclaim things, to prophesy things, to speak life. There's a song that Toby Mac recorded years ago, and it's called Speak Life. Speak life, speak life, in the deadest, darkest night, speak life. We have this opportunity to speak life over people. And so I want to encourage you. It takes courage sometimes to stand up to people when they're starting to gossip or they're starting to get sarcastic or they're starting to just go down a path that's just deadly and destructive. Read Proverbs and you know what I'm talking about. And just have the courage to stand up and say, you know what? I'm going to speak life over that person. Because you never know what they're dealing with. You never know what pastor's on the verge of suicide. And here you are, I've been bad-mouthing him, and he's about ready to take his life. Because he's been through battles, and he's fought demons you haven't had to fight. And he's stood in trenches you've never had to stand in. I just feel like the Spirit of God wants me just to address some subtleties. We could call it residue that I've noticed and encountered in being in this valley. And I've seen people good men and women of God taken out and pulled off of their assignment because they've fallen prey to this. And this isn't what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to bless. He wants us to speak life. And most importantly, back to my point, he wants us to serve. Galatians chapter six, verse 10 says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, not to some people, not to those that we deem worthy. Is he worthy? He is not worthy. He doesn't get any good from me today. <laughs> Could you imagine if God did that with us? <laughs> We'd be in trouble because none of us are worthy. And yet he still piles grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And he keeps giving and giving and blessing and blessing and restoring and bringing back. And he goes, you need a second chance. You need a third chance. You need a I've got you. I got more grace for you. Your sin is, is still there. Okay, guess what? My grace abounds all the more. That's how good God is. And he invites us to do good to everyone. And here it is, especially to those who are of the household of faith, especially the church. So to my point number two, we serve our church. If you have the opportunity to serve somebody in this house, in this church, do so. Do good, especially to those at Courageous Church. Like every family or household, we're gonna have dysfunctional members. We're gonna have to face people that drive us a little crazy. We're gonna have to face people that are sometimes offensive. And God still says, serve them anyways. Serve them. I believe this is the biggest way God wants to mature us in the way that we deal with and respond to offense. And I believe this, the bait of Satan or one of the tactics of the enemy is to get you offended. Because if he can get you offended and you're walking around hurt, you are not going to be effective for what it is he wants to do in and through your life. And you're not going to be in your assignment. You're not going to be walking in favor. You're going to be out from underneath that and you're going to be doing it your own way and you're going to be hurting people. How many know hurt people hurt people? How many of you have been hurt by someone who is hurting? It hurts. I know I have. I've been hurt by people that I've tried to love 
and they've just rejected me and they've hurt me. And sometimes serving someone hurts because the people God's calling you to serve aren't gonna receive you. They're not gonna welcome you. So if you are waiting for someone just to receive you well, then you're missing out on the power of what it means to serve someone. I believe this, the biggest trap the enemy wants to lure us into is offense. We have to get over our offense. I think this, Jesus was offended. Jesus was offended all the time, but did he stop loving? Did he stop giving? Not at all. He pressed in. He kept at his mission. And I believe this, Christ wants us to serve each other the same way. At Courageous Church, we call it our serve team. And for those of you that have been through our growth track or that have been thinking about going through our growth track, I want to make this plug. We believe one of the best ways that you can help us affect change and advance the mission of God for the people of Salt Lake City, the Mountain West, and beyond is by serving. It's not just so that we can put on a show and do what we do. It's because what we believe is that what we're doing has eternal weight. It eternally is going to change the trajectory of people's lives for generations to come. There's somebody in this valley right now that God wants you to serve so that you can change their heart so that he can reach them and save their whole family. It's not about us. It's about the world and the world that Jesus came to save and gave his life for. That's why he laid it all down. I want to invite you to do this. If you haven't joined our serve team, join our serve team. Get involved serving. And there are a myriad, I like that word, of opportunities for you to serve. And we'll help you even figure out how to do that. And lastly, number three, we serve our city. We serve our city. The overflow of a serving people who serve their family and who serve their church is that they will inevitably serve their city. We believe God has called us to be about the welfare of our city. God has called Courageous Church to be about the welfare of our city. Listen to what Jeremiah 29, seven says. It says this, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In the city's welfare, you will be blessed. Now, We haven't exactly been exiled here, although some of you might feel like you have. (laughs) Some of you that aren't from Salt Lake City, maybe you feel like God sent you into exile. But we're inclined, and I believe this, particularly prompted by God to seek out the welfare of this city that God's put us in. And the cool part is this. He says that when you do that, you're going to be blessed. When you do that, you're going to prosper. When you do that, I'm going to see to it that your welfare is taken care of. And when we serve, he increases our favor. He blesses us. He prospers us. It's a beautiful reality. So I believe this, we're gonna serve our city and we're gonna serve our city well. This year, through our City Serve Initiative, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the year. We're gonna do exactly this. We're gonna seek out opportunities to serve our city, to pray and to contend for its welfare and to serve people well. We're gonna do this in the jails. We're gonna do this through the ministry in the jails. We're gonna do this through food distribution and care like we've already talked about, like we've already done. And we're gonna do this through our prayer gatherings. So we're gonna do our part. And we know as a church plant, we can't do everything and that's okay. We know we're limited in what we can and can't do, and that's all right. But we are going to do our part. We're going to serve our family. We're going to serve our church, and we're going to serve our city. And how are we going to do it? We're going to do it well. We're going to serve well. We're going to be a people that are engaged in serving others. Are you with me? Thank you for listening today. To find out more information about our church, including ways you can give, please visit us at courageouschurch.com. 